Welcome to Western Hills Podcast. We have been, over the last several weeks, we've been taking a very intentional walk through a very specific story, but not just a story, an account, an account of Jesus' walk to the cross. Now, I I realize that most of us, and even if you're not uh, typically a church-going person, that you're familiar with this story on some level. But for most of us, and even those that have grown up in the church, we haven't slowed down and looked at each step they took along the way. And I've received lots of feedback from this series through emails and text messages, or somebody stops me in the hall. And there's a phrase, I didn't see that before. Or I didn't realize that before. And, or somebody would say, how, how have I missed it? And that's one of the reasons that I believe that God wants us to do this series this time as we prepared for Easter. Because as you understand what Jesus was walking through and walking towards, Easter begins to take on a whole nother level of significance. Easter, this day that we celebrate the reality that there's a tomb that could not hold its occupant. And that's not how funerals typically end. That's not how the story typically goes. But slowing down long enough to look at each step of the way. And so I want to look at the final moment in this story. The one that leads us right up to the Easter celebration. And as we've looked back over this this walk, and we've seen Jesus in the garden, and we've seen Jesus on trial, and we've seen Jesus endure the mockery and the beatings, endure the the whipping that he endured, endured being forced to bear his cross as long as he could up to the place of the skull, Golgotha, and then being nailed to the cross and being hoisted up into that upright position where all of his weight then falls onto those nails. We've watched him interact with a thief on either side and where one would send rebuke and mockery and jest, the other was a call for grace. And now we're at the moment where this spectacle, this drama comes to its end. And so as a way to bring us into this message, as a way to bring us into experience, we've located a video that I'm going to direct you to and just let this set our stage and following this video I'll come back and I'll believe what I I'll share what I believe is a message that God would have for us today as we understand these last moments of Jesus' life as the son of God the God-man, the one that's 100% man and 100% God as he dies and the significance of that. Watch this, please. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. Then they led him away to crucify him. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. 
There they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots, and sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. And Jesus cried out again in a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. If you have your Bibles, open up to the Gospel of Luke, please. Luke chapter 23. And there you find that last quotation from that video. Jesus has been hanging on the cross. And now a series of supernatural events begins to take place. Uh, a, a series of events that all of those that witnessed it that day, I've got to believe that it had to be somewhat of a 9-11 kind of experience because they weren't going to forget where they were. They may not have believed in the man or the rabbi hanging on the cross, but they weren't going to forget what they saw and experienced and witnessed that day. So in Luke chapter 23, Luke is researched and he's given us his account. And so in Luke 23, beginning in verse 44, and only running through three verses, we have, we have an incredibly short synopsis of the death of Jesus. Here's how Luke accounts it. It was about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. For the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out in this loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he said this, he breathed his last. It's the best you can. Maybe it helps if you close your eyes on this. But try to put yourself in that moment. You're standing on a hillside. Not unlike a West Texas hillside. And there's all this crowd and all this commotion going on because it's execution day. And you've seen the parade, the hideous parade that led him out there. And you're standing and you've witnessed the soldiers going about their task. You've seen them cast lots for his robe. You've heard the jeers. You've seen people spitting at the condemned. You've witnessed the blood. You see the thorns. And as you watch all this, I believe you've got to notice something different about one of those condemned to die that day. 
And there's a different presence about him. And as he goes through all the different things that he says and communicates from the cross, Jesus is concerned about others. He's offering up forgiveness. And as you witness this, you've got to become to realize that there's something going on that's different here. And then suddenly the sun stops shining. Luke doesn't tell us exactly how, but what I believe is there's a cloud. A dense cloud comes around. You know, one of those days where it's sunny one moment and then the storm rolls in, not unlike what we've experienced this week. And suddenly it goes from bright to dark. And remember, it's a time where there's not other streetlights, there's not other, nobody has a torch lit at this moment. And so the darkness begins to envelop them. And I believe one thing that could be going on there in that moment is that even though it's, it, Luke describes it as dark, is that God can be coming near in that moment. Because as you go back and you read through the Old Testament, every time God came into the temple presence, Every time he came to what was the, the mobile temple known as the tabernacle, the one that the children of Israel, as they left Egypt and God instructed them to build, so there would be a place for God to be represented and to live his house in their community, it was essentially a fancy tent. But every time God occupied that, it says a cloud descended over them. A dark cloud and they couldn't see through it. See, I wonder if this isn't Luke telling us that and God is coming near at this moment. And even though we perceive it to be dark, even though we perceive it to be, to be a situation that's beyond compare and out of control, in that moment it's still the presence of God not just containing the temple, but the whole land. And I wonder if even perhaps in your darkest moments and my darkest moments, we need to be reminded that God hasn't left somewhere. And God hasn't turned his back somehow. And he hasn't taken a vacation, but he's right there. And he's present. Because of the very next thing that Luke tells us. Luke, after he talks about the sun going dark... He says, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Now, you may not know about the temple, but the temple was seen as the place where God lived. Now, growing up, we used to sing a song in church. Now, if, if you had a similar experience I did growing up, you'll know the song. Tiptoe, tiptoe, in God's house. Okay, Why? Because you don't want to wake him up. Okay? So there's this idea that you got to behave. I think the song was designed to keep me from running in church. Um, but the idea is that this is God's house. And somehow I started to equate the building with God's house. And this is, this is where he lived. Now, if you'll know, we still kind of hang on to parts of that. And sometimes it's hard to, to get that totally out of our minds. But... In Israel, uh, at this time, where they could look upon the Temple Mount and they see this very opulent and majestic temple, it very much was God's house. 
And, and, and there wasn't something you try to say, no, he doesn't. He lived in that house. It was the sign of his presence in their midst. It was God with them. Which is why, if you understand, in AD 70, when Rome came in and said no more, and they raised the temple off the Temple Mount to never be seen again on the Temple Mount, it was such a tragic moment for the Jewish people. Because it was the sign that God was no longer with them. And so, in the temple, in this sign, there was these outer courts, and you kind of moved your way into this place that was known as the Holy of Holies. And to go into the Holy of Holies, there was this massive curtain. Some described it perhaps as thick as a man's palm that hung floor, floor to ceiling. And it divided the outer holy place from the Holy of Holies. And the Holy of Holies had an object in it called the Ark of the Covenant. And the ark was said to be the footstool of God. Because Israel would not have any images of their God. So what they had, they had the ark of the covenant and all of its significance. And supposedly, this is where God rested here. And it was such a holy place that only one time a year, on Yom Kippur, which is a day that means the day of atonement, one time a year, the high priest, after going through all kinds of rituals to cleanse and purify himself, to prepare himself to enter into this place, one time a year would he enter on the Day of Atonement to offer the sacrifices and stand in what they believed was the very presence of God. That was the access that they had. And now Luke tells us as Jesus is about to breathe his last... This darkness comes over. And what I'm suggesting is that this darkness is the, the presence of God. And then we, we're known that the curtain of the temple was torn in two. And it's this curtain that separated the outer side from the Holy of Holies. And what it means is that God is no longer going to stay behind a curtain. He's not going to longer be located in a single place. Access that had been granted on one day a year to one person, representative of the whole community, was now available to everyone. God was, in their minds, he was coming out of hiding. He was coming out of the house. He was moving into their presence among them, never to be separated again. In fact, what, what I want you to try to understand is this, this idea that what God's doing in this moment through the act of Jesus dying is he is now saying, I am here and I am present and you need not go through a certain system to get to me. You not need to go through a certain high order to get to me. I am here with you. And it was unparalleled access to the Heavenly Father. So, so those that heard about it that day, if they didn't immediately know what it meant, they wrestled with it. Because it was such a change in how they thought they could approach God. That God ultimately is far off. He's almost out of reach. He stays at a distance. He keeps himself from 
you. Because God is really this separate thing. He's way out there. He's so far beyond me. There's no way that I can even begin to interact with a God like that. And the curtain torn says, no more. It says, God is here. He's present. And he invites you to come into his presence. And the struggle with that is, that makes us uncomfortable, doesn't it? It's so much easier to fathom a God that wants to keep his distance from me. To keep, to a God that wants to keep an arm's length from me. A God that loves me on occasion when I do the right things, but doesn't love me in spite of myself. That's an easier God to get your mind around, isn't it? So what do we do? We keep trying to replace that curtain, don't we? Here's what I say about that. It said, God tore down the curtain separated from him. We must stop trying to replace it. God took it down. That's the significance of being ripped from top to bottom. It's impossible for some man to have done that. God tears this curtain down, and yet so often in my life I find myself trying to put the curtain back up, trying to restore it again. Now, I'm going to give to you what I consider one of the weakest illustrations I've ever used, okay? But this is as good as I come up with this week. I didn't know this, but when you get into the sale of houses, there, there's a, often there's a clause that says the curtains have to stay. May I experience that? Where the curtains or the drapes or whatever, often sometimes they'll, you'll write the contract so where they stay with the house. And so when ownership changes, the new owner gets to do what they want with the curtains then. They get to decide what, what happens to them at that point. And so the owner can keep them, clean them, fix them, change them, take them down, put up blinds, whatever you want. But it's the decision then of the owner of the house now, the, the new occupant of it. It would seem very unreasonable if I had sold you a house... And then three months after move in, I show up and say, I'm here to put up the drapes. And you're like, what are you doing? Said, These are the ones that I picked out for you. They're lovely. They have polka dots on them. You're going, I don't really want polka dot drapes. That's okay. I'm going to go hang them up anyway. That's what we try to do with God. God tore this curtain down. Why? Because he occupies now... Not just the temple, but our entire lives. And we try to hang up the curtains again. And we've got all these hang-ups. We get hung up on doing the right thing. On following the right formula. We get hung up on somebody else's religious status. We get hung up on whether or not they're following Jesus or not. Whether or not they're worshiping in the right way. Whether or not, And we create all these hang-ups... And we look at others and we create them inside ourselves and we are effectively putting a curtain back up and say, you got to be separated from God and we got to stop trying to hang up what God's torn down. Anytime we try to build an obstacle 
between somebody else and coming to understand the grace that God offers them, we are hanging that curtain back up, the one that God tore down himself. Anytime we're trying to insert something in and says, well, if you will just worship God my way, with my set of rules, in my style, in my preferred worship style, then maybe, just maybe, or if we keep trying to remind somebody of their past. Or you keep being reminded of your own past. That says, God can love you, but he doesn't love you as much as he loves this person. Because you've got something in your past and you're ashamed of. Or you keep beating yourself up with that. Realizing that that, that season of life or that decision that you wish you could go back and undo, you wish you could change, you're thinking, that's a curtain that separates me from God. And I'm here to tell you what Scripture tells us is that God tore it down. And in this moment of Jesus offering up his life on the cross, becoming the sacrifice that was going to end all other sacrifices, becoming this idea of God is now being fulfilled in this moment. Because even the preacher in Hebrews tells us that there was this sacrifice that kept being incurred, but ultimately bulls and goats could not be sacrificed enough for the covering of our sin until Jesus came along and laid down his life. So let's stop trying to hang back up what God has taken down And then I'll give you the last part of this. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he said this, he breathed his last. That's such a short account of the actual death of Jesus. It's almost staggering. Because here on the cross is the one that's 100% God and 100% man. This one that has walked and performed miracles, the one that has commanded the weather, the one that has healed the sick, that has brought sight into those that could not see, the one that has multiplied food and fed until everybody had their fill. This one now speaks one more time. And it calls out and says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And that word commit, as I researched, it means exactly what you think it would mean. It means into your hands, I'm going to entrust myself. Into your hands, I'm committing my future and all my hope. You are my only security at this moment. So Jesus is saying, God, Heavenly Father, into your hands, by your control, by your power, I'm going to entrust myself. And here's what I believe that means for us. I believe that Jesus could not resurrect himself. I believe that at this moment, he didn't have some type of card in his back pocket that if it all went south, he could just play that card and say, I know how this is going to end. I've got the power. I don't think he could resurrect himself because what I believe he's doing in this moment with this statement is saying, Father, I have fulfilled the mission 
And now at this moment as I face my earthly death, I'm entrusting you with all that I have and all that I am and all the future hope and the resurrection is going to be up to you. Now, Why does that matter to us? Why is that? Because Jesus then becomes a model for us. See, it seems like this moment he should be his most distant from us. And I'm going to suggest that at this moment he is most like us because he is facing his death the same way that you and I face our death. We face our death with the same resources that Jesus faced his. Nothing more and nothing less than a complete trust in God. When it comes to the moment when you're going to step to the other side, that's all you and I have. That's the only place that we can turn is to commit ourselves, to entrust ourselves into the hands of our Heavenly Father. And Jesus is not only doing that, He's modeling that for us. And into His hand, into His Father's hands, He releases His Spirit and He breathes His last. It's my prayer, it's my hope. That as I breathe my last, as you breathe your last, that it would be in that same frame as Jesus. In that same frame of total commitment and total trust. Because in that, Jesus had total hope. And there's a boldness with which he steps into that and breathes his last that I find incredibly comforting. Jesus doesn't say you won't face death. Because we've all been to enough funerals to know that's not the case. But in that moment, we don't face it alone. Because again, the curtain's been torn. And access to God is now everywhere. It's complete. It's thorough. It's available to you and me. So in that moment, we can commit ourselves into the hands that formed you in the first place. It's almost a returning so I'm almost saying, this, this belonged to you from the very beginning. Father, I'm now returning what is yours totally. And in that moment, there's where the hope of the resurrection steps in. Because we believe in a Jesus that did not stay in the tomb, so therefore we can fully trust. Because God has already shown himself faithful in this area. So my prayer for, for you is this. That if there's some kind of curtain or veil or obstruction that still is between you and God, that this week you would begin a prayer that says, God, help me take down what I've hung up. Help me to remove. Because God didn't put it up. We keep trying to build the barriers. But I'm praying, I'm encouraging you to pray each week, God, help me to take that down. And help me to commit my spirit to you. Because 
if you can, if Jesus can commit at the moment of his death, we can commit every moment of our life because that's what he made possible. Let me pray for us. Father, I'm grateful for the cross and I'm grateful for the journey that Jesus took there on our behalf. And Father, I'm grateful that the barrier has been torn down, it's been ripped. And so I pray, pray for anyone here that still feels that separation, that still feels that they are way too far from you, that perhaps, just perhaps they're out of your reach, Father, and help us to know that's simply not true. That the power at work on the day when the sun went dark is still at work. And your presence is manifested now that Jesus has faced the cross, experienced death, and risen from the tomb. Father, help us to no longer hang up what you've torn down and help us to commit our lives. So, Father, anybody that has yet to make that leap of faith, that has yet to make that that jump, if you would, give us the courage. Give us the clarity to see that you're going to catch. In your holy name I pray. Amen. Years ago, my grandmother had a root cellar. And I thought it was the coolest structure in the world. Because it was a big cement block and then there was a, a ramp of it that led up to the door. There was a normal height door, five, six feet that you go in, you go down the stairs. And so, standing on top of this, playing on top of this, it was just the coolest thing to play around on. Because when you go up that, the top side of that door, it seemed like it was 14 feet off the ground. Okay. And I can remember one day as a young boy playing around on that, my dad was outside. And he stood at the bottom of it. And again, it seemed like I was two stories up, but it was inches <laughs> And dad puts his hands up and says, jump. And I had that moment. And I had that. He goes, jump. I've caught you. I've got you. And so after a little bit more persuasion, I finally bent my knees and probably fell more than leapt anyway into my dad's hands. He had me. There's no no doubt. That's the invitation of Jesus today. Commit. Jump. And your heavenly father says, I've got you. If perhaps you haven't made that leap yet in baptism, we would love to help you make that. You can come down and talk to myself or one of the shepherds about that. We'd love to begin that conversation with you. If, if there's something in your life where you've got a curtain hanging up and you're ready to take it down again, we'd love to help you with that. Again, your Heavenly Father says, jump, I've got you. If there's any way that we can help you experience that, come and we'll talk to you while we stand and we sing this next song as Justin comes up. Stand with us and let's worship, please. 
Thank you for listening to this Western Hills podcast. Please visit our website, westernhillsonline.org, to find out more about us.